Grab a brew, listen up and get back to you. This is Things I Wish I'd Known podcast. Hello and welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known with your host, Rachel Welford. This is the podcast where we help you change your life through positive conversations. And I'm super excited today to be here with Anna Schaffner. And Anna is a coach. She is a writer. She is a researcher and a professor of cultural history at the University of Kent. And she's written a number of books on exhaustion, and self-improvement and she's just an all-round super interesting woman. I'm very excited to introduce her to you and we've got lots of things that we agree on and some of the things maybe we don't agree on, which is makes for an interesting conversation and big learnings. She has um, had her writing appear in multiple different um, pieces of press, things like The Guardian, Psychology Today, in the psych. So you know that she is super, super knowledgeable. She knows what she's talking about. And I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. So thank you so much for coming, Anna. It's great to chat to you again. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. I really look forward to our conversation. Me too. We were, um, for anyone that's listening, we were having a chat basically that wasn't recorded um, about a different project that we also might be working on together. And I was like, oh, we need to, why didn't we record this chat? You need to get on the podcast. And this <laughs> happens to me a lot. I'll be just having these informal chats with people. And I just think, oh my God, we need to record that. We need to get you on the pod. So thank you so much for being here. I mean, do you, I love to start always with kind of how did you get into this? Because it's quite interesting, cultural history and then self-improvement and then exhaustion. Like how do all those things link together and how did you get to where you are? Yeah, great question. Um, so I think, I think I, I, you know, because I felt really exhausted a lot myself um, for quite a long time, you know, I, I think I've sort of slipped in and out of burnout-like states and often just felt really, really tired and energyless and kind of like very weighed down and as though a great heaviness were kind of on my shoulders. And so I became interested in the topic of exhaustion first from an academic point of view, but there's always, you know, deeper reason for why we research things, you know, and I yeah. think we, usually we kind of teach what we need to learn ourselves. But I became really interested in the topic of exhaustion. And um, because everyone was saying that ours is the most exhausting age in history, you know, we've never had such complex, straining, draining times before. Um, and there was a lot of news about burnout in, in the papers in, you know, like you couldn't switch on the radio and the television without hearing anything about burnout and how, you know, social media mm -hmm. have made us all um, you know, basically incredibly tired and stretched and drained. And then I wondered whether we really do live in the most exhausting age in history, you know, mm. and, I, and I became really interested in whether um, other people in different periods of history have also felt tired and burned out. And yeah. then I started to research that topic and I found, you know, that actually exhaustion is a topic that has preoccupied everyone Mm. Going all the way back to ancient China and the ancient Greeks, everyone has worried about their energies and the fact that energy is a limited resource. Right. Um, and everyone, you know, in every age, people have talked about um, how they can preserve their energy, how they can, you know, take good care of it. And, and they have developed different theories about what drains us, you know. Yeah. And there's always a really interesting um kind of culturally critical dimension to what we project our fears on you know like what deem what is deemed to drain us changes yeah. in history you know nowadays we, we blame it on new technology on social media in particular on neoliberal competitive capitalism mm. and so on but in the past people blamed their exhaust from very different things so it's really interesting to look at those different stories we tell about exhaustion yeah i mean without wanting to kind of simplify it too much in my mind where my brain's going with it is like yeah I think it's probably slightly more exhausting to be like plowing fields all day like manually than it is to be like oh no I had to log on to zoom and type a few emails and now I'm going to relax with Netflix <laughs> and go on my phone you know but it's a different type of exhaustion isn't it one is the kind of more physical 
you know, that you're having to physically do a lot more. Whereas I think now that after the industrial age, not that I know loads about this, but, you know, I imagine things have got easier since we've moved from, I don't know, doing things manually, horse and cart, that kind of thing, into having Mm. vehicles, having homes that are heated, having, you know, all these different technologies that actually a lot of the time can save us energy in terms of physical um you know exertion but maybe they're using a lot more mental capacity mm. that you don't yeah. that, that I think sometimes we don't always think about that as like burning energy yeah absolutely um, and and that's how I guess sometimes you can feel exhausted after a day like I know if I'm sometimes doing you know a lot of writing if I'm you know if I'm writing blog posts or doing lots of different um when I used to do my daily well I'm and for those that used to get the daily dopamine download don't worry it's coming back as my energy levels improve I've um <laughs> had long covid so I've cut back loads of stuff like recording the mm. podcast and writing but sometimes if I was just writing or recording all day and they're things that I get loads of joy out of you know but mm. sometimes at the end of the day you'd be like oh I haven't moved I've been at my laptop like you know fully in it loving it having a great time writing whatever I'm writing and um we're just chatting to people like on the podcast and then suddenly you're like woof it's really tiring but I haven't physically like really done that much you know like number of steps or going to the gym or anything like that yeah Um, I guess what would be helpful for people to know is through your research and everything is it the most exhausting time in history or is it just different yeah I think you know what you just described Rachel is very spot on you know I oh. think we have I think we have very I'm taking much... your job <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's true it's you know very much that I think we have um we have more physical comfort in our lives you know generally speaking um we work less long hours we have lots of technologies that have massively improved our physical life but i think those technologies that have you know basically given us lots of time or were supposed to give us lots of time you know by speeding up communication by facilitating lots of things you know like using a dishwasher as opposed to washing your laundry by hand Mm. uh, sorry using a washing machine as opposed to washing your laundry by hand and all these kind of devices they were supposed to save us time Mm. but they have also um they have also generated new stressors you know so so whilst email speeds up communication it has also become a really big stressor in our new life you know with overflowing inboxes being constantly reachable not managing that traffic you know kind of dealing with email is now a huge part of many people's jobs you know and takes time away from doing the actual job we're meant to do so I think with a lot of those new technologies have come new psychosocial stressors and what you described you know that brain work Mm. can be really draining and also connectivity can be really draining being reachable all the time can be really draining and I think you know in our times we also have um I would say not a lot of hope for a more optimistic future you know because things have I think the general zeitgeist always impacts on our mood and our energy levels and Mm. there are periods in history that have been more optimistic you know where people are looking forward to a brighter better future and still believed in progress and technology is our savior and I think we we live in a pretty gloomy period (laughs) for various various reasons and climate change you know being perhaps the most um, yeah so surely the the most um horrific threat that is sort of yeah. looming over us um so i would say there are stressors now in our lives that other people haven't had to deal with um but people in other periods had to deal with other stressors you know mm. like in the cold war people in the cold war period people were genuinely worried about being wiped out you know yeah <laughs> like the nuclear forces yeah actually pressing the buttons that was also a great mental worry and then you know in periods of actual physical warfare um you know where where people really really genuinely suffered worried about their lives i think we've moved on from i think physical stressors to more psychological stressors and we can say that's on the one hand that's progress on the other hand you know psychological suffering is also real and yeah. it's it's very damaging and it's not 
necessarily, you know, to be preferred to physical hardship in 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 lots of situations. So there's, I think, there have been trade-offs, you know, and there are pluses and minuses in in our situation. I think people talk a lot more about exhaustion and burnout, and I think another reason why burnout is such a big topic is because we just um, over-identify with our work you know work has become such a big topic for suffering you know like mm. I think a lot of people genuinely suffer at work and they really identify with their work and attach their value to their work and um, you know work is sort of tangled up with purpose meaning status um, you know even the hope for kind of spiritual salvation in lots of cases of so work is really overdetermined, and that's why I think a lot of people genuinely suffer at work because of this entanglement yeah absolutely and I think there's um I don't know one of the schools of teaching that I follow especially when I'm working one-to-one with clients is um there's this amazing book by a woman called Yvette Rose and it's called The Body's Talking Are You Listening and it's essentially Mm. talking about or what she teaches within that is um that every single ailment that we have you know whether that's burnout exhaustion whether it's cancer whether it's um you know, literally anything you can think of, tennis elbow, dislocated kneecaps, broken legs, right? Any anything that you might think is an accident, generally they're not accidents. There there's four different layers to every potential ailment. And one of those layers is the physical, and that's often where the symptoms will manifest. So like with burnout, for example. Um but then you've got the emotional component, the the mental component and the energetic or spiritual component. And it's very, very interesting when you look at that. Um, I've literally looked up every when I got that book, I looked up everything that's ever been wrong with me ever <laughs> in my life and was like, oh, my God, what were all the meanings? And it's very, very interesting um, to to see that there's I think there was maybe like one thing that I looked up that I thought, eh, that doesn't resonate so much but pretty much everything else I was like that's exactly what was happening in my life like mentally and emotionally um I guess what might be helpful for people is how do we how would you define burnout because I agree with you Mm. I think a lot of people um are talking about mental health and burnout and stuff like that now which I think is incredible because when I first started shouting about this stuff back in 20. 17 I think it was 2018 um not many people really knew the language that we now use around anxiety depression uh mental health you know emotional well-being uh people are talking about burnout there's all these buzzwords around like narcissists and Mm. you know all these different things but what I worry about a little bit is that we are sometimes pathologizing what's just normal life like you know if you haven't properly rested for years you're gonna feel exhausted because we think resting Mm -hmm. is just scrolling on our phone or watching something on Netflix but how often do you genuinely you know unplug and Mm. you're just resting peaceful you know so how how would you define burnout yeah great I mean you mentioned lots of really important points and resting and the art of resting well Mm. is definitely one of them so I mean I I understand I don't like burnout being applied in a really loose way to everyone who feels a little bit tired I mean burnout is actually a really serious um, diagnosis I mean you know the burned out clients of whom I work some of them just can't work you know they, yeah. they they have to quit their jobs and they have to it can be a really tragic condition you know because yeah. they 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 have worked really hard all their lives to progress in their careers and suddenly you know their bodies say no and they can't concentrate they can't focus they cannot be productive anymore and that's exactly really, my that's story really very very yeah mm. you mentioned that and it's a it's a terrifying state to be in it but is. it's also of course you know a moment for exploration and you know there is you know every crisis can be can be a learning opportunity if you handle it in a certain way but I think burnout is you know real burnout is is very very serious it's when we 
when we can't function anymore. You know, when the body literally says no and you cannot, yeah, you just cannot work. You know, you yeah. can't, you can't, I mean, you know, there's, there are some differences between burnout and depression in that burnout affects your ability to work and perform at work and you can still function in other areas of your life, but really burned out cases often don't function in any yeah. area of their life. Right. And, and there is, I mean, I would say burnout is when you're chronically exhausted yeah. When you feel very cynical and hopeless about mm. your work and your abilities to perform yeah. you know, and your own skills. So there's often also a very self-blaming dimension there. You know, yeah. you think like, oh, I lacked resilience. I lacked willpower. And this has happened to me because I'm not strong enough. Yeah, And then there is also, um, yeah, just inability to, to be productive. Like you just yeah. can't do anything anymore. And I would say... Burnout for me, like lighter versions of burnout is when we spend a lot of time languishing, you know, when we neither work nor rest. And I think for Mm. me, that's always the danger zone when you're like in this gray zone, this no man's land where you don't allow yourself to rest, but you can't actually work and you kind of languish. And that's really dangerous because, you know, when we start to feel depleted and exhausted, the most important thing we have to do is to rest. Yeah, but because we get very anxious about falling behind, resting is precisely what we don't do anymore, and we don't allow ourselves to rest. And that's you know that's the kind of paradoxical reaction that yeah. pushes people into burnout because like you're like oh my god I'm behind with my work I have to do X Y and Z and then you stop resting yeah. and your wor- ability to work becomes ever smaller because you don't rest anymore. Yeah. So. I think the great danger is to um, not rest and not to rest what you also said, not to rest in a recuperative, restorative way, you know, because yeah. if you just scroll, scroll, doom scroll <laughs> or or just, um, you know, spend your time on social media, that's not restorative. Yeah. And the likelihood is what I find really interesting about all of this stuff is the likelihood is I found this with my journey as well. And definitely with some of my clients, we've had these conversations in private that obviously when you're not feeling your best, you're probably Googling things like, why can't I focus at work? Or, mm. you know, um, you know, sleep tips or um, why do I, why can't I stop feeling so sad or whatever, right? So you're starting to Google these kind of topics. And then what happens is your algorithm will start to go, mm. oh, this person's interested in these topics. So they're going to start serving you content that's based mm. on those kind of topics. And maybe the people that you start following are going to either be like these kind of motivational speakers or on the flip side, other people who also suffer with depression, suffer with this problem. And so that narrative is being ingrained ever more because then suddenly where you're worried about yourself, you start to privately like Google because that's what we all do, right? The, the mm. God knows what Google knows, the secret fears that are going <laughs> on in my brain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the stuff that we don't want to ask anyone else, we ask Google, but then that sets our algorithm. And so then suddenly mm. you're getting served more and more content saying you're burnt out, you're exhausted, mm. this is wrong with you. Or on the flip side, because I remember this happening to me for a while, then you've got all these people that are like, you just need to get up and make your bed and it's yeah. a choice and you've got, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh my God, so that compounds ever more. There's something wrong with me. I'm mm. doing something wrong like why can't I just get out of bed in the morning like a normal person why can't I be sprightly and full of energy like all these people and then what you find out is you know like I was listening to Stephen I think it was on Diary of a CEO it might have been can't remember if it was actually I might have misquoted that but basically there's this guy called the liver king I don't know if you've seen his stuff in America he he does this whole stuff about he has various tenements that he follows and he basically never wears a shirt. This is how you'll know okay. who he is. <laughs> if you see a guy who doesn't wear a shirt, this is the liver king. And he's like, you know, ripped, like insanely kind of like hench mm-hmm. dude. 
And he swears that it's down to these um, living more like a caveman, basically. So he sleeps on a board. He doesn't have a mattress. He makes sure he gets daylight on his eyes first thing in the morning and like tries to watch a sunset at night, I think is one of them. Um, I love, sorry to the listeners, because you know that I just go on these random tangents and I should probably research this stuff before I just start talking about it without any proper background but anyway this guy and he eats liver that's part of the thing and he, so he's called the liver king and he thinks liver is just this nutritional you know the most nutritional food and this is how he's got this insane body even though he's like 40 years old anyway it's just come out he's on steroids okay <laughs> and he's historically denied you know that he's used steroids or whatever and mm. maybe because it was like a leaked email maybe it's someone having a go at him and maybe that's not true. But I do think that when you are looking at all these people and they're saying, I'm a motivational person and I do this and Mm. I do that, the amount of people that have been debunked that that morning routine they're talking about, they don't do it every day. You know, that this and that, 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 that they're saying, this is how to be like this nine times out of Mm. 10. It's not just that one thing. Yeah, It's all these other things, you know, that, don't so there's an often context gets lost and then we Mm. just blame ourselves so for people that are feeling burnt out because all of that stuff that you were sharing just then I thought that is a hundred percent my journey Mm. every single thing and you're so hard on yourself because you just feel like why for me especially there was just this like why can't I just Mm. and then pretty much everything in my life why can't I just keep on top of my washing why can't I just be more energetic why can't I just finish this project at work why can't I just be it was always like there was something Mm. that I just couldn't quite get to this space if people are starting to notice that about themselves what are good ways of you know allowing yourself to rest because I know we've sort of talked about Mm. rest being so important and with long COVID, it's actually, I shouldn't laugh because it's not funny. It's actually been really serious. But I'm laughing because I went to this hospital appointment to see a physio about long COVID. And she said, OK, are you resting? Are you doing? I said, yeah, I'm sleeping loads. You know, I'm really resting. And she said, well, t- tell me a typical day. And for me, I was doing like nothing comparative because I'm usually very, very busy. Mm. So for me, it felt like I'm probably operating like 10 or 20% of my normal daily life. What are you doing? I said, I'll get up in the morning and then I, you know, try and either do a meditation or some kind of journaling or something. And then I'll try and go for a walk and then I'll come back and, you know, I'll just have a coffee or whatever. And then I might do a couple of emails and then, you know, I'll try and go for a walk at lunchtime and then you know, I'll try and do a walk in the evening. I'm trying to get my 10,000 steps in, even though I can't properly exercise. But I was like, and I was telling her all this stuff and she just started laughing and she was like, I thought you said you were doing nothing. And I was like, well, I am doing nothing, you know, like comparative. And she was like, no, you need to do nothing. Like you need to lay on your couch and stare at the ceiling. Nothing. And when I started doing that, I actually started getting better. <laughs> Okay. And but it's it's my impression of what was rest and nothing mm. and her impression of what was <laughs> rest and nothing were two completely different visions, you know, yeah. both true in one sense because for me that was true. I was doing basically nothing comparative. <laughs> so I think a lot of people that have burnout they're generally these perfectionists, mm. people that you know, are overachievers. And so they might be thinking, well, I am resting or I am slowing down mm. and maybe they're not. So what are the ways that they can get good quality rest? Yeah, um, it's a funny story. Um, and I definitely have to live, look up the liver king. <laughs> but, look him up. Um, honestly, I will it? look him up. Um, but I, I, I would say that, you know, also the point you made before about the personal blame narrative, you know, mm. That also destroys rest, doesn't it? If you like, even if you're doing nothing, but if you if you have a very harsh inner voice, if you have, you know, like a self-incriminating, self-flagellating inner critic mm. who is constantly kind of bombarding you with accusations 
even yeah. while you're trying to rest, your rest will not be restful. You know, that's why I think the personal blame narrative when it comes to burnout is really toxic and really dangerous. Mm. And you mentioned all these gurus who make it worse by saying, like, I found the recipe. You just have to follow me and you'll be fine. That never works like that because we're all very unique and very different beings. Yeah. And, you know, what restores one person doesn't necessarily restore another person. So I think it's also, I mean, in my work, with my clients, I also try to really draw attention to what is systemic and what is coming from the outside and for which they shouldn't take the blame, you know, because a lot of people do work in toxic working environments and they do have, you know, socioeconomic stressors in yeah. their lives that are not their fault. And they have bad bosses and they have yeah. shitty co-workers who make their lives hell. And that can all massively contribute to burnout. And they can, yes. they don't feel appreciated at work. They don't feel um, valued. They have a workload that is too high, deadlines that are too tight. And that's all not our fault. Yeah. You know? So often, I think my work with clients is about disentangling what they should take responsibility for and what they shouldn't take responsibility for yeah and, you know, because if you look at the burnout research um it's like a massive amount of the stuff that makes us burned out mm. is actually environmental it's coming from the outset and yes we can build up our resilience yes we can police our boundaries and so on but only to a certain extent you know there's yeah. also systemic stuff that can make us ill and I think it's important to emphasize that because people take the blame and yeah. that blame culture makes I mean that makes people feel bad and that also means they can't rest because if you have mm. that horrible voice in your head that keeps saying it's your fault why can't you do this why do you lack the willpower and the discipline that's not restful right so I think kind of being sensible about what you can and cannot control and what is and what isn't in your area of responsibility is really really important and then i think you know when it comes to resting um what gives us joy and what makes us feel alive is really really unique and there's no kind of formula that fits all i mean in my work with my clients i try to get them to reconnect what gave them joy in the past because yes. that's another thing we lose sight of you know when we burned out like our lives literally turn gray and we don't do any of the things that make us feel alive and that no. give us pleasure. And that, you know, that might be playing the piano or it might go, might be running a marathon or it might be getting a pet. It might be, you know, whatever. And resting doesn't mean doing nothing. I'm intrigued that, you know, your psycho, uh, your uh, physiotherapist recommended doing nothing at all because I think there's a lot of stuff that can be restful. And it doesn't mean that we have to lie on the couch and do nothing. You know, like for mm. me, rest is also what gives us energy. And that can be, you know, resting, especially if we're like super active. Yeah. But it can also be doing something that is just restorative, you know, that gives us energy. And then it very much depends on what gives you energy, you know. Yeah. And um, and it's so unique and different. And I think people need to often they need it takes a lot of work to find out what that actually is. You know, what is restful for you? Yeah. And what feels good? Cause I, um, talk a lot about this thing. I actually learned from, uh, a good friend of mine, Carla, who's a, a doctor and, um, she, we were doing a workshop together and she taught this one thing, which it just, you know, when you have those, when you learn something and you just have a penny drop moment and you go, Oh my God, that, that is so clear what what was happening and she um shares about this emotional home and how you've got these various different chemicals that basically create your um your kind of chemical makeup of your emotions and so i teach this a lot to my clients because i think it's really helpful if you're constantly in kind of chronic stress you're going to be living in the room of your house that basically has these two chemicals, which, are, you know, everybody sort of knows about now, adrenaline and cortisol. And adrenaline mm. is high energy. Cortisol is mm. doesn't feel very pleasant. Mm -hmm. But they, what I didn't know is a lot of these um, chemicals and hormones kind of work a little bit like on a seesaw. So the more you have of one, the less you have of the other, because they kind of need to be in balance. So, you know, they they kind of move like consistently 
throughout the day or the the weeks, the months, different cycles, um, depending what's happening. And for a lot of people, and this was definitely my experience, you're super stressed or anxious or angry, rage, all of these high energy emotions that feel like crap. And then the adrenaline will burn off because eventually it will. So then you create acetylcholine, which, which I never pronounce right. So any doctors listening, I'm sorry, I know I butcher that word every time. Um, but basically that's low energy. So it's the opposite to adrenaline. Um, mm. But you've still got the cortisol. So then what happens? We start to feel apathetic, sad, you know, really low energy, but we feel like crap. And for most people, they just bounce between these two things mm. because you've got all this mm. stress and and the adrenaline's running and you're like ah and then crash and then the stress comes again so we go back up and down back up and down mm. and what that does is your body starts to get used to it and you're not creating the other chemicals which are on the other side so you might still have adrenaline and acetylcholine on that balance but when you've got high energy but it feels good passion joy excitement you know like adrenaline junkies who jump out of planes or like mm. go snowboarding or whatever right they love to be in the opposite side to stress it's like you know we have um oxytocin DHEA um mm. all of these more positive uh, dopamine serotonin they're the opposite to cortisol and but the problem is moving diagonally across this is quite difficult. So to then relax, if you're in the at the top quadrant where you've got, you know, adrenaline and cortisol to relax, properly relax and feel peaceful, to feel in love, to feel super calm, to feel like, ah, oh, everything's good in the world. Um, you need astrocholine, dopamine, oxytocin, DHEA, right? Mm. So you've got to swap all your chemicals. So it's actually really difficult and it can start to feel quite alien. So for a lot of people that have been under chronic stress for a really long time, saying to them, oh, just, just relax. It's like, yeah. it actually feels like your mm. body's resisting the relaxation. Cause it's like, Hey, bitch, where's my adrenaline? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm used to this. <laughs> and so you sort of create yeah. these, yeah. um, chaotic environments sometimes subconsciously to get your adrenaline mm. and then you're like oh thank god you know mm. I'm back to what yeah. I know and so yeah. for people that are maybe struggling to to rest are there things that they can do that can help them to get into that state and to to allow like you know because joy would also be in the opposite side mm. so if we're trying to connect mm. with re relaxation peacefulness joy mm. what are some good I guess, strategies for people to be able to lean into that. Yeah, it's, I mean, as you say, it's really difficult to remember what these strategies are when you've been in that other state for such a long time. You know, then you actually, you just forget about how being in the other state feels. You forget what mm -hmm. gets you there. Um, and you might even find it a bit threatening because it's not what you're used to. And although the state you are becoming used to is unpleasant, it's the devil you know, right? So you mm. you might even, as you say, be creating unconsciously, like continuing to be in that state. I mean, I think what, um, you know, there are some, I mean, I it's a, it's a cliche, but I think, you know, um, physical exercise, good sleep, good nutrition is kind of the basis. <laughs> Excuse me. For, bless you. <laughs> it's the basis for, um, for the physical side yeah. of well-being. And yeah. a lot of people who are burned out don't don't have the energy to take care of of the physical yeah. um, body in that way. Um, and then I think we, we I think I think the the key though is to to develop kinder self narratives. You know, because yes. even if you take a bubble bath, even if you try to meditate, even if you use scented candles or go for walks in nature if you have a really harsh inner voice you won't be able to to enjoy these experiences they won't Absolutely. be restful so for me i think when it comes to burnout it's very important to look at the deeper narratives you know the deeper self-beliefs and yeah. also the ways in which um our identity has become entangled with work and to kind of it's a longer process but it's a it's yeah. a process of disentangling and discovering that we are not our work and then and then I think we can enjoy whatever gives us rest 
uh, again. And um, I think ultimately for me, the aim is to, to create a more restful inner state, you know, yes. because often, often burnout people have um, really negative self-talk in their heads and it doesn't really matter what they try and do to rest because if you have that voice, you know, you won't rest. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting. I know that we we've spoke about this uh, in our last conversation around the kind of like small incremental steps as well. Mm. And I think for me, when I was burnt out, I was so desperate to get back to who I was mm. that I didn't, you know, I just wanted to be back to normal mm. in inverted commas that I didn't realize that back to normal was what was making me sick. Yeah. And I still think now if I hadn't implemented what I now sort of, you know, call my happy habits, if you like, mm. um, I, I will get sick. It happens. Like I, I notice it, you know, if I don't, I, I, I don't really have a disciplined morning routine or evening routine. I have things that I know that I need to do super regularly. Um, but I make sure I supplement. I look at my nutrition quite closely. Um, I'm not the best at it, but I know that certain things, if I eat too much of that certain thing, it makes me feel depressed mm. um, or it brings up these narratives in my mind. It's one of the reasons I, you know, barely drink alcohol because when I drink alcohol, I notice my little inner critic gets very, very loud and much harder to control. Mm. I don't know why specifically that is, but that's what happens for me. Um, I have to meditate. I have to get out in nature regularly. I have to watch my sleep. I, you know, there's all these mm. different things that now that I do, but at the beginning I tried to do all of those things all at the same mm. time. Mm. And then when I couldn't, because it was like a personality overhaul and a, yeah. you know, a, like for somebody that, you know, just pressed snooze 15 times in the morning, dragged herself out of bed, rushed to get to work, you know, sat at her desk all day, grabbed whatever happened to be nearby for lunch, you know, didn't, didn't really think about, drank a lot of alcohol, you know, um, all those kinds of things. Those changes that I was trying to implement were massively different. And so mm. what's your take on that, that kind of incremental change? Yeah, I think that's, it's a really, really good point, you know, because I, I think when, you know, when we're burned out, we also have to accept that it will take a while to get better. You know, it's a yeah. serious crisis yeah. and you can't just, you know, push a magic button or swallow a golden pill and, and um, work as you used to. Um, uh, so I think, you know, first of all, seeing the crisis as what it is, it's a crisis, yeah. it's a moment of breakdown. And it means that you have to change the way you worked. Some people have to change careers. That's incredibly threatening as a yeah. thought. You know, if you have worked all your life towards your dream career and suddenly you find yourself unable to do it anymore, that's massive. You know, yeah. that's, um, it's a Especially major... Especially when it's linked with identity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I so, am a lawyer or I yeah, am a... I instead am of this. I work as yeah. a lawyer or mm -hmm. I work as yeah. it, you know it's I am yeah and it's very difficult to untangle that isn't it yeah absolutely and I think what what we need to do is like be incredibly gentle with ourselves mm. and incredibly patient and also accept that um you know that change will will come in the tiniest of steps yeah. um and the Japanese have a lovely concept um which I find is really useful for um, burnout recovery as well it's it's kaizen and kaizen is the art of very slow tiny incremental change and mm. it's useful because our system doesn't go into blocking and you know this is too much i can't cope with this i'm going to reject this change mode because the the changes are so gradual mm. that our you know tendency to stay in a given state won't be activated you know like yeah. we won't be too alarmed about small changes so i would say you know tiny small incremental changes what you what you describe as your ha happy habits you know is a beautiful example of that that you just gradually build better more sustainable habits and find out what is good for you yeah. and um and you do it so slowly that you're you know that you're um 
your body won't be too alarmed and won't yeah. won't just say that's too much i'm overwhelmed i'm yeah you know, i'm frightened of all of these changes so it could be you know introducing small things um you know one a week and 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 very 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 slowly mm. um trying to rediscover you know like a sense of connection and calm yeah and also so finding out what what makes your body feel good and um, yes. and then what feeds your soul. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's true, isn't it? Because it's like if you wanted to be somebody that, I don't know, I've always wanted to be one of those people who gets up at 5 a.m., it's not going to happen. I did it once for 30 days. It nearly killed me. Mm. I'm just not, I'm not, I've, I've got to just deal with it. I'm not a morning person. Not a I'll, have to just, I'll just try things and, you know, mm. but somebody said to me, do you know what? I bet you could do it if you got up five minutes early, earlier, mm. every week over a year. Yeah. Because they were like, what time do you normally get up? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Because I'm, I'm, I'm quite a night owl. So getting to bed for mm. me is quite tricky. Um, so I was like, I don't know, you know, midnight plus. So I normally get up seven, eight o'clock in the mm. morning. Because sleep's important, you know. Um. And so they were like, yeah, so then if you just took back your bedtime five minutes and your five minutes mm. from 8 a.m. or whatever over the course of a year, you'd be getting up and it wouldn't be yeah. that. It probably wouldn't feel like such a shock. But because you went from like, OK, I'm just going to do it for 30 mm. days and it's essentially a three hour difference for your body. Mm. That's like you know, a real, a real shock. So I, I love that idea of, of small incremental changes and I mm. massively back it because I just think, um, I use an analogy a lot with my clients about, um, weeding a garden mm. and, you know, like when you, if you think of your mind like a garden and like you say with burnout, you, it, my internal narrative used to be horrific. It was, it was so bad. Um, and I say, it's a bit like you've gone into this garden, no one's touched it ever. And you've got this machete, you know, and you need to start <laughs> hacking mm. back because there's just this overgrown, you know, forest and you sort of hack some stuff back and you might start to see, oh, okay, you know, I can see now what the garden looks like, but then you're going to need to get your hands dirty. It's going to be a lot of effort. You've got to pull things out, mow the grass, you know, dig up all the soil, fertilize it all decide where you're going to put everything then you've got to plant all your seeds and everything and it takes a lot of time a lot of effort mm. and a lot of um hard work but then after a while you're like it's looking good you know and it's okay at that point when the garden's kind of done and s summer is here and the plants all look great and the flowers are out and it's okay to go mm. around and enjoy it and pick your fruit yeah. And relax, you can invite your friends around for a garden party or barbecue and woo, have, have some fun. But if you don't stay on top of the weeding and you don't stay on top and that's your happy habits, right? That's your watching your nutrition, doing a bit of meditation here and there, going to the gym, do, you know, whatever it is for you, all that stuff that we all know, like we all know how to be healthy now. Mm. It's, it's, it, you'd have to be living under a rock, right? Not to have some <laughs> idea of yeah. how to know about nutrition how to know about sleep how to know about all these things because the information's all there on the internet mm. but if you don't stay on top of it then a, your garden is going to just go back exactly mm. how it was yeah and that's where I think these like affirmations and positive thinking and you know all the all these little things that we can do over time help to keep that garden looking nice it's nicely weeded yeah. you're not having to and if you don't do those little things then you know unfortunately it's going to be really hard work again because it's mm. all got overgrown and so it's about kind of staying on top of everything and that's what I've yeah. definitely found in my journey it doesn't have to be rigid you don't have to be out there weeding every day because sometimes there aren't any weeds to dig up mm. they haven't grown back yet but you need to be on top of it to know when they are coming back so that you can do the work yeah I love that metaphor you know the, the gardening metaphor because it's also about cultivating mm. you know cultivating good habits and and it you know and implied in your metaphor is also that it's ongoing work yes right but ongoing sustainable work because once your garden is in in 
good shape you, you ha it's about maintaining it it's not yes. about radical revolution it's not about yeah. total transformation because that stuff scares us and that stuff yeah. costs a lot of energy and when we burn out we don't have that energy no. right but i think the kind of gentle seasonal cultivating yeah. effort that's something we can all accept and subscribe to and I, and i think you know metaphors matter you know the metaphors yeah. with which we think about our inner life are really important and i like the gardening metaphor because because it does suggest you know it's not a magic bullet it's a kind of continual sensible yeah. gentle effort right Absolutely. and taking care of something as well it's yeah. a kind of you know a cherishing and and nursing you know, nurturing. Yeah. But, and remembering and, to enjoy it when it's... Yeah, and, and you can sit I think, in your garden and enjoy it, of course. That's <laughs> the thing, I think, because I think, you know, leaning back in and connecting to joy is so important because mm. when you've been burnt out and you're really, you know, I would say it took me a good three years to come back from my burnout yeah. properly. That's mm. a long time. And when you mm. then, you're in this like self-development and I've got a heel and I've got, a, you know, it, it can get really like heavy and really like serious. Mm. And actually sometimes it's like, yeah. play, yeah. go and have some fun. <laughs> Enjoy yeah. yourself. Like you did the work, go and have some fun, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because the lightness goes when we burn out as mm. well, you know, any lightness and joyfulness and, you know, just, you know, when we don't have enough energy, we become very stingy with our energy as mm. well. You know, like energy is like we don't have a lot of it. So we have to guard it incredibly carefully. And we don't have any to waste, you know, like yeah. joyful, playful things. So we can't be exuberant or or kind of, you know, just generous with, with what we have. You know, it's like it's this precious, limited resource. And we have to, you know, be yeah. highly strategic about what we put energy into and you know i guess the gardening metaphor is so nice also because like i really don't like the mind as a computer metaphor it really annoys mm. me because it's very much like you know we're not machines and we shouldn't mm. aspire to be machine-like and we also we can't just reprogram ourselves or we can't just you know rewire or get rid of malware it doesn't work like that you know like yeah. it, it requires careful inner work and contemplation and you know and and a continuous gentle effort you know not yeah. just like chuck you're healed <laughs> doesn't yeah matter. and I, I you know I use that analogy sometimes with the computer in terms of like reprogramming because I think you can reprogram your mind and you can rewire like in terms of neuroplasticity but similarly it's ongoing you know you can't mm. you can do it but it's like when I talk about how I rewired my brain and people then don't want to hear it. Cause I was like, well, I was practicing my affirmations 8,000 times a day, mm. every day for months and months and months. And I still practice them every day, maybe not 8,000 times a day, but at the beginning I, I did. And people are like, Oh my God, look, how long did that take? All fuck all day. <laughs> That's how long it took all day. It was exhausting yeah. and it was yeah. boring and I didn't want to do it, but it worked because that's mm. how you create new neuro pathways yeah. and you can't, you can't do it any other way. Um, and it's, you know, that is the hard work. That's your machete bit, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm conscious of time. I'll just look to the time. I could chat yeah. to you all day. Um, but I really want to know what one thing do you wish you'd known about exhaustion before you kind of learn everything that you've learned? Wow, that's a good question. I, I think I, like, I think there are a lot of toxic narratives around about work, hustle mm. culture, you know, work and identity having become mixed up. And I think, I, I think we now need to be really cautious about how we work and see overworking as, as much as a danger to our health as is tobacco and not sleeping enough and loneliness. I think toxic working patterns are really, really, really big health risks. And mm. I, yeah, I kind of wish that, that, you know, I think there's a cultural shift happening right now and people talk about these kind of things a lot. And that's, that's a positive development. I feel like, yeah, I wish I'd known that earlier, you know, the dangers mm. of, over identifying with your work you know being achievement driven I mean it's always at some level I think that's always a, a way of wanting to earn you know respect and acknowledgement and love yeah. you know often and I think at a deeper level our overworking is kind of 
a way of overcompensating for for feeling unloved you know yes. and it's not a good way I think there are no. better ways so well, and it's yeah. external validation isn't it yeah. at the end of the day so it's and once we start relying on external sources for validation mm. that's quite a slippery slippery slope isn't it absolutely <laughs> oh it's yeah. been such a pleasure to talk to you and I wish I, I could make this a two hour long episode there's so many more things I wanted to ask you we'll talk um, again <laughs> I know um is there anything else that you'd like to add maybe anything I didn't ask any nuggets of wisdom that you might have for people listening oh I don't know I would just say remember that burnout is very likely not your fault mm. you know like all the research shows that burnout is an occupational issue that has mainly external causes. And I think that shift in narrative is really important because mm. otherwise we sit there blaming ourselves. And, you know, often, you know, we, we, there's a beautiful metaphor out there about like a, a cannery that flutters into a coal mine and it's really chirpy and yellow and healthy when it goes into the coal mine. Then it gets really sick and, mm. you know, sooty and, and ashen and ill in the coal mine and, um, and it blames itself. But, mm. you know, obviously it's the coal mine that made the cannery sick, not the, Ooh. you know, cannery. That I love that analogy. And I think sometimes it, it would help us just to shift that blame narrative, you know, not taking too many, you know, too many individual, yeah, not taking individual responsibility for what sometimes is the coal mines in which we are working. Yeah. Oh, I love that. What a great place to end. If people want to find out more about your work, where's the best place for them to find you? Yeah, so they um, can find me on LinkedIn and I also have a website. It's www.theexhaustioncoach with hyphens in between.com. And yeah, I'd love to hear from the exhausted and would be happy to help. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you to you guys at home for listening. If you are listening or watching on YouTube, please do click that little subscribe bell. If you are listening on your favorite podcast platform, please do leave us a review. Be honest, but five stars. Come on, let's be real. Um, <laughs> and it really does help us to reach more people and um, for us to be able to continue doing what we do. So thank you so much for being here and listening. I will see you again very soon much love we hope you've enjoyed listening as much as rachel enjoys making this podcast why not share it with a friend and if you really love it drop us a review on apple podcasts as it really helps us reach and inspire more people thanks for listening 